his partner replied over their radio link. Actually, I'd like to find the damn things here, Ilya. If they make it to D.C., it's too late. Charlie Dean stood on the tarmac of an apparently deserted military airstrip, which shimmered beneath a harsh mid-afternoon sun. Sweat prickled at his spine beneath the khaki uniform blouse, the heat dragging at him, sucking the energy from his body. He decided yet again that he was really getting too old for this sort of thing. A former U.S. Marine, he'd served in the Gulf, and later, before Bill Rubens had asked him to join Deep Black's Desk 3, he'd worked with an independent intelligence service in Afghanistan. The heat reminded him of those deployments. At the moment, Dean didn't look the part of one of the National Security Agency's Deep Black senior field operators, though that, of course, was the idea. He was wearing the uniform of a wing commander in the Indian Air Force, the equivalent of an American lieutenant colonel with his skin and hair dyed dark to give him more of a subcontinental look. At the moment, though, there was no one about to appreciate the disguise. Hey, Charlie! The voice of his partner, Ilya Aquilinen, sounded in his ear. I'm picking up something over here. He could see the other man thirty yards away, standing next to a battered Russian-made Zill 131 truck, parked in the shade beside a shed. Charlie glanced around no one else in sight. He started walking toward the other Desk 3 operator. His partner was Ilya Aquilinen, sometimes called Sharky, a reference to the English translation of his family name. When friends called him Ilya, it was with the proper Russian pronunciation, with the accent on the Ya. His cover for this op was that of a major in the Russian Air Force, where pale skin and blonde hair were not at all out of place. He definitely looked the part, and he'd come by that honestly. Aquilinen's parents were Russian emigres, living now in the Little Russia community of Brooklyn, New York. Their current mission, codenamed Haystack, had brought them to Aini, a military and civil airport just 15 kilometers outside of Dushanbe, the capital of the Republic of Tajikistan. A few years ago, Tajikistan had struck a deal with New Delhi to turn a dilapidated airbase at Farkhor on the border with Afghanistan over to the Indian military. The arrangement had been intended to give India a greater military and political reach in the region, and Tajikistan greater security with its southern border with Afghanistan. In 2007, New Delhi and Dushanbe had extended the arrangement to include Aini, outside of Tajikistan's capital. The agreement had been contentious at times. The Aini base was supposed to be shared in rotation by India, Tajikistan, and Russia. But Russia displeased with India's recent political accommodations with the United States, had more than once tried to force the eviction of the Indian contingent. India was still here, however. Plans to complete a natural gas pipeline from Central Asia south to India depended on the region's security and political stability, and India's military bases in Tajikistan were vital to those plans. Thunder boomed overhead, a pair of Indian MiG-29s circling around to land, Twelve of the fighter jets were based here and at Farkhor, eighty-five miles to the southeast, along with an Indian Army security force. "'What you got?' Dean asked, as soon as the MiG's thunder dwindled into the distance. He spoke quietly, the words little more than subvocalization. The high-tech transceiver embedded in bone behind his left ear picked up the words and transmitted them via the antenna in his belt. "'He's getting something higher than background.' the voice of Jeff Rockman said in Dean's ear. 
Their transmissions were also being relayed by communication satellite to the art room. The code name referred to the Deep Black Ops Center, located in the basement of the NSA's headquarters building at Fort Meade, Maryland. Rockman was their handler for this part of the op, though Dean knew that the rest of the art room crew would be listening in as well, including Rubens, he was sure. Dean didn't like the real-time communications hookup, which was too much like having several dozen people looking over your shoulder while you were trying to work. He would grudgingly admit that being able to talk by a satellite with Fort Meade could be useful at times, but more often, it was a royal, high-tech pain in the ass. Something is right, Aquilinan added. I think this might be the truck. Walking around to the rear of the vehicle, he jumped up onto the flatbed and moved up toward the cab. A tarp? A big wooden crate? It's empty. We couldn't have gotten that lucky. Lots of chatter from the box, though. Hey, you people sure it's...